All right, I want to take a quick moment to introduce our preacher this morning. His name is Ken Braddy. He is a uh, lifelong friend of mine. I've known him since I was a little kid. Uh, but he is here because he is the Sunday School Director for Lifeway Christian Resources. He also oversees all the editorial teams that edit all of the ongoing Bible studies, like our Bible Studies for Life, uh, that we will be uh, all beginning in the next several weeks. So put your hands together uh, for Ken as he leads us this morning. Spring Valley, I appreciate you inviting me out this morning. Greetings from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Dr. Ben Mandrell and all of the Lifeway family back home. I have known Brian uh, for a long time and have known his parents uh, even longer. Brian, I'm assuming uh, Larry and Ann did not make it down uh, today, so I'll have to see them another time. But I've known the Fillingham family for a long time, and they've been very influential in my ministry. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, please take those out. Let's find the New Testament book of John. We'll go to chapter 4 for our message today. Maybe you brought yours on your phone. You can go ahead and take that out, turn that on, find John chapter 4. And while you're turning there, the uh, title that I've given this message today is God's Passion and Our Purpose. As we look at the story, uh, part of it, from the woman at the well, that very familiar story that we've learned, most of us have learned and know uh, by heart. We'll start there today in John chapter 4, verses 27 to 35 will be the uh, focal for our text today. Uh, if it's all right with you, I'm going to do something that I do back home. Uh, I'm on staff at a small church in the Nashville area. I do that in addition to my full-time work at Lifeway. And at our church, our pastor several years ago uh, started a tradition of having a stand while we read God's Word. So I don't know if we do that here or not, but we're going to do it today. So if you would, I'm going to invite you to join me by standing. John chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 27 to 35, which will be our text for this morning. The Word of God says, Just then as his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman, yet no one said, What do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town, and they made their way to him. In the meantime... The disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And the disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? Jesus said in verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus told them, Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to bless your word, Father, and would your Holy Spirit do what only he can do, and that is to be our teacher this morning. May he guide us and lead us into your truth. And these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, as we look into this text, we're only catching kind of the back part of this story of the woman at the well. And so what's happened to this point? So let me kind of get us a little running start, and then we'll jump back into the, uh, to the text. So Jesus had been ministering in Judea and decided that it was time for him to leave 
And uh, choir, by the way, good to have a group behind me. Normally the choir at our church leaves and I'm on the stage by myself. So it's nice to know that someone's got my back today. Uh, so here's Jesus. He's, he's ministering in Judea, but there are, there's mounting pressure from the religious leaders. And so he decides to take his disciples north and they're going to go do ministry in Galilee. And he decides to kind of take a shortcut through Samaria, which is kind of a no-no because the Samaritans and the Jews did not interact. They didn't like each other. In fact, they were uh, very unkind uh, to each other. So when Jesus told the story about the good Samaritan, that would have caught everybody's attention because in the Jewish people's thoughts, Samaritans were not very good people. So he makes this shortcut and he is going through Samaria and he stops at a little town called Sychar. And it's the place where the Old Testament uh, leader Joseph had land and he had a well there where flocks were watered. And so Jesus stopped at this very famous place to get a drink of water around noon. It was hot, the scripture tells us. And he met a Samaritan woman there. She had come midday to the well, which was a little unusual uh, that she would be uh, there during the middle of the day. We'll talk about that more here in just a minute. And so he had this conversation with this lady at the well. And uh, that's what we're going to look at this morning is kind of the back half of this story. Now, there is a famous fellow, one of the most famous Southern Baptists you have never heard of, and his name is Arthur Flake. And Arthur Flake uh, made this statement. He said, the supreme business of Christianity is to win the lost. And he said, that is what churches are for. And he said, it was Christ's supreme mission. He says that surely, if that was the case then, he says, the Sunday school, you substitute life group, must relate itself to the winning of the lost as an ultimate objective. I hope that you believe that today, that that is the ultimate purpose of your church, just the ultimate purpose of my church, and that is to make disciples and to see new people, to see lost people sitting in groups next to us, rubbing shoulders with maturing believers and learning God's Word. So our big idea for the day, you want to jot this down in your worship bulletin, I know you've got a place to take notes. The big idea today is this, each of us must talk about Jesus and we have to help people know and to follow him daily. Everybody with me so far? It's our big idea for that. If you don't remember anything else, just remember that. That's our ultimate purpose. Well, as you take notes, uh, I'm going to ask you to jot this down. The first thing I want you to know, it's number one, is that Jesus built relationships with the lost. Let's go back and take a look at verses 27 through 30. And here's what the scripture says. As the disciples arrived, they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. This was a cultural taboo. And he said, yet yeah, no one said to Jesus, what do you want? They thought he was talking to her because he wanted something. And they said, and they didn't ask him, you know, why are you talking with her? They just kind of left it alone, but they were curious about this conversation. And it says that the woman left her water jar. She went into town and told the people, come and see a man that told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And the Bible says that the townspeople left the town and they came out to meet with Jesus. And so it's a beautiful picture of, of Jesus making the time in his day to stop. And he's had this chance encounter with this lady at the well. And he realizes he just knew because he's Christ and he is, uh, he is omniscient. He knew her condition. He knew her lifestyle and he knew what she uh, had, had been doing. Uh, in her in her life, so he meets her there at this well at noon. It's hot, Scripture says, 
And, uh, and there she is. Well, why would she come at noon? Most ladies, this was their, this was their task to gather the water. Why would this poor lady come in the heat of the day carrying a big jar to get it refreshed and replenished there at this well that, uh, that Joseph owned? Well, it was because most likely she had a very bad reputation with the townspeople and the other ladies in town that she was probably avoiding running into anybody because the water was gathered in the morning time when it was cooler. And so here she is coming, kind of sneaking in during the middle of the day. She wouldn't be confronted. She wouldn't be uh, put down by anyone. She wouldn't have to deal with snickers and smirks and uh, conversations that people might want to have about her because of her sordid past. And so she's trying to sneak in and get the water for her family. And then Jesus is sitting there when she comes in. Would you note, uh, too, here in verse uh, uh, 27, uh, that Jesus uh, says here in the, in the Scripture, it says, just then his disciples arrived. Well, it makes you want to ask, well, just then what? I mean, what had just happened that we, verse 27 starts with just then? Well, if you just back up one verse, take a look in verse 26, and look what Jesus said to her. This is something he usually did not do. Normally, he hid his identity from people. He told his disciples and he told people that he healed, don't go and tell everybody that I have done this miracle. They will start assuming things about me. And he didn't want to, he didn't want to have his ministry sidetracked early. But here's what he told her in verse 26. He says, I am the one, or I the one that is speaking to you am he. And he by this he meant that he was the Messiah because she had said in verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us, to the Samaritans. And Jesus revealed himself, and he said, I am he. Would you note this, the progression of his conversation with this lady? It starts out earlier in the chapter, he's just hot, he's thirsty, and he needs a drink of water. So it starts out with just a very practical Need Something just kind of uh, comes up during the course of the day, course of conversation. So it starts out kind of uh, simple and innocuous, and there's nothing major. It's just a simple request. Earlier in the chapter, he had asked her for a drink of water. And then it progressed into not just talking about water, but then he began talking about living water, which got her curiosity up because she wrongly assumed that if I, if I could just get a hold of this living water, I wouldn't have to come back to the well anymore. I wouldn't have to take a chance on running into people that might not be kind to me because of my lifestyle. And this would make my life easier. And so Jesus moved the conversation from water to living water. And then ultimately, in verse 26, he was very specific about who he was and, and what he had to offer her. So he moved it from the simple to the spiritual, from the practical to the very pragmatic. And he moved that conversation along. Jesus loved to build relationships with the lost. I have to be honest, that's hard, I think, for, for us. It's hard for the church. It's hard for most of us because as, the longer you're in the church, uh, would you agree with this? The longer we're in church, the, uh, the fewer lost people we know. Would you agree with that? I have found that to be true. I work at Lifeway Christian Resources, work with a great team of people. There's not a lost person in the building. 
So if I'm going to establish relationships with the lost, I have to do it somewhere else. So I serve on a church staff. But the, <laughs> you know, most of the people in my church are in a relationship with Christ. And so if I want to bump into lost people like Jesus did and build relationships, guess what I've got to do? I've got to be very intentional. I actually almost have to plan for it. I have to slow down long enough to talk with the server at my restaurants. I have to be cognizant of who is moving in and moving out of my neighborhood and build relationships with them because most of the folks that I'm around daily are not lost people. And by lost, uh, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, this, that's a word. Our, our new president, Ben Mandrell, hates that word, by the way. Doesn't like it at all. He, was from, he, he moved out to Colorado to plant a church. And he said when they started using that word lost in Colorado, he said it just did not register with people that were lost. You know why? They didn't feel lost. They feel life is great. I've got spouse, I've got children, I've got job, I've got hobbies, I like hiking, I like mountain climbing, I like snowboarding, and their lives feel pretty complete. And if you ask them, they're not lost at all. That Life is awesome. But we know inside the church what we mean when we say lost. We mean somebody that does not have a saving relationship with Christ. And Jesus, throughout his ministry, established relationships with people who did not yet know his heavenly father. Zacchaeus was another one. And Jesus intentionally made time for him. Now, here's the good news. Jesus has built us, you and I, for relationships. And he knows he built us that way. And we have in us this desire to be around people and to be around like-minded people. And that's a good thing. That works to our advantage, can work to our advantage as the church. Now, Today, as we try to reach people who are out there and in search of relationships, we know the ultimate relationship that they need is a relationship with Christ. But sometimes they look for relationships in wrong places. Matter of fact, there is a a, a country uh, singer named Johnny Lee. Remember this song? He said uh, he was looking for love in all the wrong... Yeah, don't start singing. Uh, Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. And the whole song goes on and on and on about uh, how people are looking for love, but they're not finding it. They're not finding that ultimate relationship that they need. Now, this may uh, be a surprise to you. I'm going, we're going to put on the screen here a couple of photos. I want you guys that are in the booth to uh, show us the one uh, coming up here on the Mermaid Convention. Can you get to that one? There we go. Um, is there a way for us to see that here on the back wall or up there? Okay, we'll, it will, I'll watch for it up there, but here on the screen, sorry, choir, or can you see it backwards? Okay, man, they're okay. So on the screen is a, this is a real deal. This took place last year in California. Go figure. So California, July 12th, 14th, a mermaid convention. And people went to this hotel. They actually put on little rubber suits, rubber fins and whatnot, and they would sit around the pool and swim around, men and women, uh, dressed up like mermaids. It's a mermaid convention. Now, these were like-minded people. They just, for some reason, they love mermaids, mermen. And so this is the thing that they do. They're looking for love in all those wrong places. And right there in that pool at that hotel, that's what's happening. Now, here's another one. If you think that one's weird, it gets worse. 
I think. Here's the next one. This is another convention, BronyCon. Now, are you familiar with the kids, uh, the kids cartoon, My Little Pony? Okay. So BronyCon, these are bros, these are guys who are mature guys, but have a fascination and a, and a, and an attraction for My Little Pony. And they actually have a convention. And here he is. This is one of the guys you can see he's holding his My Little Pony. They get together by the hundreds for this little convention, the BronyCon. And now the last one, i got to poke fun at myself. Yes, the Star Trek convention. I'm a Star Trek guy. I'm a Trekker from way back. I admit it. It's my one fault. And here are these guys. One guy dressed up as Captain Kirk. One guy dressed up as Mr. Spock there in the blue. And the funny thing, I think this is kind of funny. I have a very sick, twisted sense of humor. I really do. And I think this is kind of funny because obviously it's a Star Trek convention of some kind, but only the two guys in the front row are dressed up. I think they've realized they walked into the wrong convention hallway because everybody behind them is dressed normal. I think Captain Kirk just figured it out. He's like, you know, I think we need to, we need to get out of here. But it's, it's fascinating to me what lengths people go to to connect relationally to somebody else that has the same likes and interests and affinity. Does that not surprise you? People are hungry for relationship, and Jesus knew that. Lost people are hungry for relationships, and that works to our advantage as the church because we have something to offer them that they can't get anywhere else a relationship that really matters, one that can last for eternity if they come to know Christ as their Savior. There's another picture fixing to appear here on the screen. That's a sequoia tree. It's a real person standing just inside the uh, cutout. You'll see it here in a second. The uh, sequoia trees that are uh, actually uh, living today uh, were, get this, this is wild, they were saplings when Jesus walked on the earth over 2,000 years ago. Some of these trees out in California, those giant trees, are are over 2,000 years old and were just itty-bitty when Jesus and his disciples were walking the earth in Judea and Galilee. And if you've ever been out to Mere Woods, you've ever been out to California, you've seen some of these. Here's an interesting thing about sequoia trees. Sequoia trees uh, never grow alone. Did you know that? Or if they do, they don't last very long. They fall down. They always grow next to each other, or they grow in groves. Now, these trees will reach heights of 300 feet. That's a pretty tall tree. And they're giant. You can drive cars through some of them. Some of you may have done that on vacation. For a tree to be 300 feet tall and wide enough to drive a car through, how deep must those roots go into the earth to support a tree like that? Anybody want to hazard a guess? It's not near as deep as you think. You ready for this? It's blow your mind. Four to five feet. That's it. I've seen one turned on its side. It's fallen down. And the root system is very shallow. But here's the secret of the sequoia tree. They don't grow alone. They grow next to another one. And what do the two root systems of the trees do? They intertwine. 
and they intertwine with a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and a seventh and an eighth and a ninth tree. And then all of a sudden you've got this immovable, impenetrable forest full of trees who have roots that only go four feet deep. And it's because of them doing life next to each other and intertwining that they have strength. Folks, Jesus knew this when he made us and he invented us. He created us for relationship. One of the best places that you can possibly be in your church and in my church back home is in a group. Because in groups, we get to live next to each other, sit next to each other, do life together. And guess what happens to our lives, church? Our lives intertwine. And we become very strong as a congregation, as a Bible study group. It's a beautiful picture. The sequoia tree is a beautiful picture of what life at church can be and should be. The intertwining of our lives together. Does that make sense? Jesus looked for opportunities to build relationships with people. Why? Because relationships are the things that life is made of. It's the glue that holds families together, holds churches together. My former boss, Dr. Tom Rayner, was a research, uh, a research expert. Uh, even before coming to Lifeway, he had a, a company that did research. And so while at Lifeway for about a, about a decade, uh, Dr. Rayner did a lot of research on you, on you and me, church members. And he, he did a study uh, on, on us one time, and he discovered something that I think is fascinating. I've got to share it with you now. You're going to see a pie chart up on the screen. Here's what Dr. Rayner discovered. When you and I come to a church and we become members of a church, we have a couple of choices. Choice number one would be to come to do something like this, to come to worship, hear the Word of God taught. Choice number two would be to take another step and to go from the big room to a smaller room, to a classroom, to a life group, right? So step one, step two. Here's what he discovered. Those folks, if you took 100 people, and if they only came to, to big church in five years, about 84 to 85% of them are gone. You can't find them. They are not members of the church anymore. They have drifted off, and they're AWOL. But almost the opposite is true when we become involved in a smaller group. There is incredible sticking and staying power. I tell parents of younger children all the time, the best thing you can do for your kids is for mom and dad to be in a Sunday school group, a life group. Because if you're there, guess where your kids are? They're in a group. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. I'm going to fly out tomorrow morning, and I will head down to St. Augustine, Florida, and commit one of the greatest sins I have ever committed. I'm a golfer. I'm going to the St. Augustine, Florida, the World Golf Hall of Fame is there, and I fail to budget any time for a round of golf. That's just terrible. My wife said the other day, she said, you're not taking your clubs? I said, no, I'm not, don't, I, didn't, I didn't do that. But I will get on an airplane tomorrow morning here in your airport, fly back to, uh, <clears throat> fly back to um, Georgia, to Atlanta, and then from Atlanta go down to St. Augustine, Florida. Now, I will, I, will, I, I will do a couple of things on the airplane. 
uh, there is going to be a level of association that's going to take place. And it happens here in church too, by the way. So right now, everybody in this room, we're associating. We have sang the same songs. We've heard the same prayers. You're hearing a sermon together. We're doing a lot of things together. But there's not a lot of relationship building taking place, correct? If I'm right about this, good possibility is you've probably not spoken much to the people in the front or the back of you. May have nodded, nodded or waved your hand or something. But there's probably not been like a lot of intimate conversations. Just like it's going to happen on my plane tomorrow, we're going to associate. I'm going to get on the airplane. I'm going to go through security with 180 of my closest friends. We're going to get onto the airplane. We're all going to be served a snack. We will hear the same announcements on the airplane, you know, do the seatbelt thing and the drop down, do the mask thing. By the way, if you've ever flown Southwest Airlines, those guys are funny. They are. I was, I was on a Southwest flight coming out of Albuquerque not too long ago, and the lady just decided to go off the, off the map with her announcements. And she got to that point of telling us, like, if there's a sudden depressurization in the cabin, you put on your mask first. And then you help, you know, if you're traveling with kids, you help them second. Right, choir? That's what they tell you. And then she said, but if you're traveling with more than one child, just pick the one with the greatest potential, help them first. (laughs) Pretty good piece of advice. We will experience turbulence. We will experience the pilot making announcements. We will experience a landing, and then we'll get off the plane And 180 of us tomorrow morning are going to scatter in 180 different directions. We've associated, but we've not participated. Are you with me on this? Happens in church. That's why people don't stick, because they associate. But we've got to get them to that next level, the relationship level where they participate. And we're sharing and doing life together. I hope that makes sense. As we get together and as we do life together in our groups, I hope that you can look around the circle, look around your room, and that there are people there that you might have a question mark. Maybe they're not believers. Just a short while ago back at my church in Shelbyville, Tennessee, my pastor called on a Saturday and he said, don't want to, don't want to shock you, but he said, I've had, I've had a phone call and there may be a new couple that we're going to send to your group tomorrow. And I said, awesome, that's great. Look, we're in the business of, you know, new people coming into our, our Sunday school class. That'd be awesome. And then he said this, it's two women. And I'm like, come again? And he said, two women have asked if it's okay, they're a couple, to come to our church and to come to a Bible study. Now, our church will not let them join because of that lifestyle. But could they come and could they participate in my life group? And could they hear my teaching about Jesus? And possibly could the Holy Spirit break through new truth into their minds and they might realize that they are living in a way that is not pleasing to the Lord. See, I hope all of our groups have people like that people that come with brokenness, they come with messy lives, they're not perfect, but they can sit in a Bible study and they can hear the Word of God taught in a clear way that engages them 
And then the Holy Spirit can do his work and speak truth and speak honestly into their lives. Does that make sense? Jesus had no problem interacting with people that had questionable pasts and questionable lifestyles. He was accused of eating with tax collectors and sinners. And now here he is engaging with this lady at the well who had had not just uh, one or two husbands. She'd had five and was living with number six who she was not even married to. And I praise him for that, that he, he saw beyond that lifestyle and the brokenness. And he knew that that person needed a relationship with his father. Number two, if you're taking notes, we've learned already that Jesus took time to build relationships with the lost. We can too. But number two, God's will is for all people to be saved. Let's go back to our text and look in verse 31. So the disciples have come back. They have been in town. They went in town for supplies. They come back. Jesus is talking to this woman. And then she leaves to go into town to bring the whole town out to see Jesus. She thinks that she has found the Messiah, and she's correct. And then it says in verse 31, in the meantime, this is since she's gone back in the town, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. Verse 32, Jesus said, I have food to eat you don't know about. Now, the disciples are always portrayed, well, say always, that's a strong word. Normally, the disciples are portrayed as learners in progress. They don't have it all figured out. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, I've got food to eat you don't know about. And now they're thinking, what are they thinking? Well, wait a minute. We just went into town to buy food, and Jesus said he's got food to eat we don't know about. What in the world is going on? The disciples in verse 33 said to one another, could somebody have brought him something to eat? They don't get what he's saying. And in verse 34, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You see, Jesus came to this planet to complete something that started way back in the first chapters of Genesis. Satan stepped into our world. He stepped into the Garden of Eden. He tempted the first humans. Sin was introduced into the world because of that, their, their poor choice. And from that point forward, the clock has been ticking and God has been working to undo the ugly thing that Satan did to his creation in the Garden of Eden. Everybody with me? So Jesus said, I've got food to eat. I've got, I've got something that sustains me even more than physical food. He said, I am passionate. I am passionate about reaching people with the good news. Take a look at this next slide. When you think about God's will, I could have gone on and on. I only put three examples on, the, uh, on this slide. From Luke chapter nine, uh, 19, the Bible tells us that the Son of Man, that be Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Matthew chapter 20 tells us that the Son of Man did not come to serve or to be served, but to serve and to do what? Give his life as a ransom for many. And then the very familiar John 3.16, God so loved our world, that's the people, not the, not the globe, he loved the people of the world that he gave his one and only son. You know the rest of it, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. This is God's will for people. 
Number three on your notes. We're going to wrap up. Every one of us, men, women, boys, girls, we have to seize opportunities that come our way to share the gospel. It's not your pastor's job only. It's not Brian's job, not your worship leader, not your staff. Folks, evangelism is its everybody's job. And if the church would ever mobilize and if we would take the good news of the gospel back to our schools and back to our workplaces and back to our neighborhoods, we would see our cities changed. We would see our nation changed. But I contend that our, our country is in the shape it's in because the church is not doing that. And quite honestly, I'm about ready to get off Facebook. I mean, it's not even November yet. <laughs> and, and there are things flying around Facebook right now. And it just makes me want to say, Lord, come, you know, as I see uh, people arguing about the political climate and as they argue about social justice and other things that are in the news these days. In John 4.35, Jesus quoted a proverb or a saying, a proverbial saying among the people. He said, don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest. So there's this idea of, yeah, we know there's a harvest coming, but yeah, it's, it's way off in the future. We don't have to exactly worry about it you know, today. But then Jesus used that and he said, listen to what I'm telling you. And he said, open your eyes, look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. He's not talking about wheat anymore. He's talking about people. He's talking about folks on the verge. They just need somebody to have a conversation with them, to build a relationship with them, and have a gospel-centered converse, a gospel conversation. He said, they are all around you every day. In one of my favorite New Testament books, the second book that Peter wrote, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter phrased it this way. The Lord inspired him to write, Consider the patience of the Lord as salvation. Peter and his fellow apostles had been accused by false teachers of creating this imaginary story that Jesus was coming back just any time. And the false teachers of the day said, You know, where is this Jesus? If you say he's coming back, shouldn't he have already been back? And Peter had to tell him, well, you know, God doesn't count time the way we do. But one of the reasons why Jesus hadn't come back yet is because God is giving us time. There's this little delay between his ascension into heaven and when he returns to planet earth for his church. And in this in-between time, this church age, we have a mission. And the mission is share the gospel. And Peter tells us, consider the fact that he didn't come back Sunday or Saturday now you've got Sunday ahead of you, church, and so now on Sunday you look for places, you look for people to share the gospel with. And if he doesn't come back today on Sunday and we wake up tomorrow morning and it's Monday, guess what we do? We consider that as the day of salvation, so we look for opportunities on Monday to share the gospel with somebody into, you know, into which we come contact. There is a uh, fellow I've got to quickly introduce you to. And his name is Tyler. And I met Tyler some years ago uh, when I was on assignment. This is before I came to Lifeway. And I was sitting in my office in Texas, minding my own business. And I got a phone call from somebody at Lifeway. And they said, hey, we're doing a conference in Austin, Texas next weekend. And one of the presenters has had to bow out. 
and we would like to hire you to, to come in and, and to help us and to do some workshops. We need four workshops next Saturday. Can you do it? And I said, I got to talk to my pastor first. I don't know. So I talked to Pastor Greg. Pastor Greg said, that's fine. Go ahead and help him. So I started putting together workshops. And on Wednesday, no, it's on Thursday, when I got up, I told my wife, I said, I'm leaving for Austin, but the golf clubs are in the trunk. And I am treating myself. It's been a hard week of putting together workshops, and I owe this to myself. So sometime between now and when I come back, I'm finding a hill country golf course, and I'm going to play some amazing golf in Austin, Texas. And my wife said, well, go by the bank and grab some cash. And so I went by the ATM, and, uh, and I punched in $100. It spit 520s out, put them in my wallet, started the drive from Dallas-Fort Worth down to, down to Austin, Texas. About halfway there around Waco, Texas, I started sneezing, and my eyes started getting puffy. And by the time I got to my hotel, I was full-on raging sick. I mean, it was, it was a three-hour descent like I have never had before. So I woke up on Friday morning intending to play golf. There was no way. I did good just to get up and to get a little food in me that morning at the hotel breakfast, went back to bed, and around mid-afternoon went to a church where we were going to do the training on Saturday, set up my room, and the Lifeway team that was there from Nashville said this, hey, let's all go to dinner. And I said, hey, let's don't. I'm going back to my hotel room. I don't feel good. So I started to drive back to my hotel room. And then I thought, well, this is dumb. I haven't eaten much, you know, in about a day and a half now. And so I started looking for restaurants. Now it's 5.30 on a Friday night in Austin, Texas. Every restaurant that I go into hour, hour and a half wait. I said, I'll just go back to the hotel, get some crackers and some Coke out of the machine, and I'll do breakfast in the morning, go do my workshops, and just go home. So I got back to my hotel, and I got out of the car, and no kidding, right next door, they shared the same parking lot, was a Bennigan's. And I thought, I'll go give them a shot. What, you know, what, what's, you know, the worst thing that could happen. So I walk into the Bennigan's. Here's, here, this is where it gets really cool. I walk in, the lobby's full, people are waiting, and I walked up to the podium, and I said, do you have any seats open? And I said, I'll sit in your bar area. That's fine. I'm just going to order some food, go back some over to the hotel right over here. And the lady's looking around, she goes, no, there's nothing open over there in the bar. And I thought, well, there's nothing going to be open in the restaurant because there's a wait in the lobby. And maybe it was because she had pity on me. I think it was because the Lord was involved. She said, follow me. Folks, I cut through an entire waiting room of people, and she took me into the restaurant to a four-top table. That was a dumb move on their part because they could have put how many people at that table? They put me. So here I am. Tyler comes over, introduces himself, and he said, how's your day? And I said, yeah, it's okay. Not feeling the best, but it's okay. I said, Tyler, how's yours? And he said, it's awful. And I said, tell me. He said, we just had a big party leave, and he said, I lost the money that they put in the, the leather envelope thing they give us at the restaurants. And he said, my boss has yelled at me and told me I've got to make that up before the weekend's over. He said, it'll take me the rest of the weekend. Every tip I make will go to replace this money. And I said, I am so sorry to hear that. And I said, just out of curiosity, how much was it? He said it was about $100. I said, that's a lot of money for a co- He was a college kid. 
So I ordered my food. I'm sitting there eating. And about halfway through the meal, guess what thought I had in my mind? Wait a minute. I was going to play golf. I got a hundred bucks in my pocket. Did God possibly allow me to get sick on the way so I couldn't play golf because he knew I was going to be here and he knew Tyler needed my hundred dollars? And I said to myself, nah, there's no way. So I kept eating. I said, God wouldn't do that. He wants me to have fun and play golf. Tyler kept circling around, and I thought, this college kid's scamming me. I know what's going on. He's scamming me. So I started listening for the conversations he was having with other tables. And he never again that night said anything else to anybody else about the missing money. I decided that's exactly what God had done. He'd allow me to meet this kid there in Austin, Texas, who needed the dollars that I had. And so I decided I was going to give that to him. So the very last thing I did, I paid for my meal with my credit card. He brought the receipt over, and I wrote him a very long note as to why I was giving him this $100. And I said, this is a free gift. And it reminds me of a free gift that we get when we place our faith and trust in Christ. I hope you know him, Tyler. If you don't, here's my phone number. I'm a pastor from Dallas-Fort Worth. Love to visit with you. And I put the money in the note in the envelope. He came back over one more time, and I said, Tyler, did the money ever show up? And he said, no. And I handed him that little leather jacket, and I said to him, I said, Tyler, it just showed back up. And I left the restaurant. Halfway to my hotel, I hear footsteps running up behind me in the parking lot. And it was Tyler, and he's bawling, and now I'm bawling, and he spins me around, and literally he's got me by the shoulders, and he says, why would you do this? I said, did you read the note? I said, Tyler, I believe God wanted you to have this. I believe this is not an accidental meeting tonight on a Friday. And he said, I've got to get back into the restaurant. He said, I'm already going to get in trouble for leaving, but he said, I'll call you. And I thought, okay, that'd be great. So the next day, uh, I get done with my workshops, and a lady from Lifeway comes around and hands me an envelope. And, uh, and she said, uh, here's, your, here's your, your payment for coming down. I said, wait a minute. I said, we didn't talk about payment. I just thought I was doing this as a service to help Lifeway, blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, no, no. We pay you $100 per workshop that you do. And I said, so wait a minute. So now I'm $300 up. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It gets better. And i got to hurry. I know I'm going over. I'm on my way home trying to drive, and I'm trying to explain to my wife on the phone what's happened, and I'm crying, and she's not understanding. I said, I'll just tell you when I get home. So I get home. Okay, so it's now like 45 days later, and I'm on vacation now at spring break with my family and about four other families from our church. We're driving to New Mexico to go skiing. The phone rings at 10.30 a.m., kind of like about right, right now. And I realized it's the church calling, so I pick up, and I said, hello, and my pastor's on the phone. I'm thinking, oh, no, what did I not do? Brian, what did I leave uncovered for the day? You know, I'm in trouble. And I said, Greg, is everything okay? And he said, everything's great. We just had our first service. We're resetting, getting ready to start the second service. And he said this. He goes, I got somebody here that wants to talk to you. The next thing I hear is, Pastor Ken, 
And I said, yes. He goes, hey, this is Tyler. And I go, Tyler? I go, Tyler from Austin? He goes, yeah, Tyler from Austin. He said, my entire family came up this weekend. He goes, we've got several hotel rooms. We all came to worship with you at church today. Folks, here's what happened. Years ago, when Tyler was younger, his parents went through a divorce. And one of them, don't know which, got some counseling from a pastor that encouraged, this is what Tyler says, so i got to take him his word, encouraged one of them, not sure who, to leave the other one. And he said, I have hated God and I've hated the church ever since. But he said, Saturday, Saturday or Friday night, he said, that all changed. And he said, my entire family is now back in church because of what happened. So I share that story with you because there are people all around us that are desperate for relationship, they're desperate for the Lord, and they're just waiting for us to say something. I've got to wrap up. I wish I had just a few more minutes, but I know we've got to get on to life group and other things. I get that. My mother passed away this last summer. And uh, in the time between the, the day that she died and we did her funeral, we started going through her stuff. And we found a notebook that she typed up. It's a notebook full of her life story, things I never knew about mom. And we found one page in particular that we shared at the funeral. And here's what she said. Uh, she said that uh, there was a teacher in her past when she was in uh, fourth or so grade. Uh, her name was Helen Jensen, the teacher. And she said Helen Jensen led her to Christ, shared Jesus with her. She was uh, a young girl's Sunday school teacher. Never knew that Helen Jensen existed until around Labor Day. And here's what I've realized. I know that you've got your uh, Who's Your One, this, this campaign that you're in the middle of right now. For that lady, Helen Jensen, at that moment in history, my mother was her one. And, uh, and she, uh, she took mom under her wing, shared the gospel with her, and led her to the Lord, not knowing that in time, my mother, who became kind of the, the matriarch, my dad did not go to church, so mother took us. But she made us be in Sunday school, made us be in church. My sister and I got saved. And, uh, and so in that process, uh, God called me to ministry. My sister ended up marrying a preacher. He's a preacher today, and he actually did my mother's funeral for us. I now uh, direct Sunday school for our company and for the Southern Baptist Convention. I lead a team of people that produce resources used by 3 million adults every week. And it all started way back because a lady named Helen Jensen decided to share Christ with my mother. She thought she was just sharing Christ. What she was really doing was changing the trajectory of my family forever because everyone in my family is a believer today. You never know, folks, when you latch on to that one person that you're supposed to, whether it's a Tyler or it's a Helen Jensen latching on to someone, a little girl like my mother back in the day, you never know how God may use that to change people and to change families forever. God's passion is for people to come to know his son.
our purpose is to make him known. If you would, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I know I've run just a few minutes over. You're going to have to do a good job and scramble to get to your life groups. But today, there may be somebody here who would like a drink of living water, just like that woman at the well. Jesus wanted her to understand that he could be her savior, that she could spend eternity with him. That's the ultimate relationship that he wanted her to have and he wants for us to have. And maybe you're somebody here today, you've heard a lot about Jesus, but you know that you don't have a a relationship with him. You can fix that today. Your pastor, Robert, is going to be right here at the front in a few moments and he'll introduce you to the Lord. Second, who is your one? Who are you praying for today? Who is that, that, that Millie Braddy? Who is that person in your life that needs the Lord? Is it a Tyler like I ran into? Is it a neighbor, a family member? Would you bring their, their, their face to your mind right now and just lift up a quick prayer? Ask the Lord to give you opportunity to speak to them and to explain how they can come to know Jesus. Pray for boldness and pray for an opportunity to speak up. Finally, maybe today is the day that you've been visiting here at Spring Valley and you say, you know what, I've, I've heard enough. I know that this church is a place that loves Jesus, a place that loves groups, a place that loves families to be connected. And so today, we're committing to this church and to the Lord first to join this local body of believers right here in Columbia, this group called Spring Valley. Maybe that's your decision today. Whatever it is, the next couple of moments, this is your opportunity to move to come down and to speak with your pastor. So, Father, I ask for boldness, and I ask for your will to be done in these next few minutes as we extend this invitation for people to do business with you, serious business, before they go and study your word through their life groups. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.